From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. The best and most reliable way of diagnosing prostate cancer is through biopsy. But for a variety of reasons, the way in which a prostate biopsy is done is changing. Here to talk about this are upstate urologists Timothy Byler and Oleg Shapiro. Dr. Byler is an assistant professor of urology, and Dr. Shapiro is an associate professor of urology and of radiation oncology. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, both of you. Thank you. Hello. If I understand correctly, for a man who maybe had a PSA blood test result that was high and there's concern for prostate cancer, a biopsy would be the first truly invasive test he would undergo, right, through that process. Dr. Byler? Yes, correct. Uh, when a man, uh, when the blood test is found to uh, be elevated, the PSA or a digital rectal exam is abnormal, uh, that signifies the need to test the prostate uh, as a source and, and determine if there is prostate cancer present. Uh, and the way we do that currently is through biopsy, yes. And so you as a physician, you, that test has to give accurate results, it has to be safe, and you don't want it to be cause too much discomfort. That's kind of the goal of... Yes, so to get our diagnostic uh, tissue, minimizing patient risk, yes. So how is a traditional biopsy done? There's been many ways of doing a biopsy over the years. Um, what came around in the 90s was a transrectal biopsy where a probe is placed yeah, in the rectum and the needle is passed through the rectal wall into the prostate, which is just above it. Uh, and this has been working for a long time. This is the standard of care. So is the patient um, sedated during that? So the, patient, so the patient usually has uh, local anesthetic uh, injected the same way that we do the biopsy. Um, it is uh, obviously fairly uncomfortable or can be uncomfortable for a lot of men, uh, especially with the pressure of the probe in the rectum. But the procedure itself takes about two minutes to do, uh, maybe three, and uh, again, tolerated fairly well in the office for by about, I'd say, 97 to 98% of men. Uh, in the remainder of uh, patients, we need to do it under anesthesia in the operating room. So what concerns are there with traditional biopsy? So the, the main concern is the rising infection rate. So uh, our bacteria uh, that's all around us is becoming more and more Im immune to antibiotic therapies that we have. And the um, infection and sepsis rates from uh, transrectal biopsies have gone up dramatically, um, and uh, that prompted the medical community to search for new and more uh, safe uh, ways to uh, proceed with the biopsy. So I want to hear more about that, but first tell me what, I mean, what happens if rectal bacteria gets into the prostate during the biopsy? What, what does that do? Sure. So uh, obviously uh, going through the rectum, even though we prep the rectum and we give patients antibiotics, there's a lot of bacteria that live within our gut. And um, uh, what happens is you introduce it into the normal tissue that's supposed to be sterile. We introduce it to the, into the blood and pe people can get really sick. They can get septic. So they become febrile. Uh, their blood pressure can drop. They may need to be admitted. And some people have to be admitted to ICU there's actually a mortality rate that can be associated with this, although low, but it's still a significant mortality rate that's associated with the prostate biopsy. So it could be really severe. It, could it be. can be, absolutely. Okay. okay, so tell me about transperineal biopsy, Dr. Byler. All right, so transperineal biopsy is an, an alternative method of uh, sampling the prostate tissue. 
Uh, it's prompted by the same indicators that would indicate a transrectal biopsy. But in this scenario, we use a rectal probe to visualize the prostate, but the needles are passed through the skin above the, uh, above the anus, just below the scrotum. This avoids that rectal mucosa completely uh, and allows us to not introduce those bacteria that are always present. So the infection rate is like, doesn't exist. There's yeah, no infection rate. Extremely low, near zero. Yes. Okay. Um, now for this procedure, is the patient sedated? No. Uh, ideally, we would not. Uh, so we actually had a, a visiting professor from Michigan visit that educated us on a new method they, they've been using there uh, with a large patient series of local blocks so that we're able to minimize the anesthesia needs as well. Uh, certainly, if we were transitioning to an anesthesia for everybody kind of biopsy, that would increase risk. So that's our, our goal is to do this under local uh, in the office with uh, minimal uh, external medication. So the patient really wouldn't feel it. You, they'd the, be this is the purpose. Yeah, the block, we try our best to um, numb up the whole uh, skin there and the pathway through to the prostate so that we're able to do the biopsy with minimal pain. So is the transperineal biopsy as accurate as the rectal? Yes, it's been shown to actually be, in some cases, more accurate. Uh, there are num numerous series that have been done uh, that have shown, just because of the positioning, we're able to get a different part of the prostate easier, and that, pro that area of the prostate can also harbor prostate cancer. So we're able to biopsy more extensively with the transperineal biopsy compared to the transrectal biopsy. So why did we not do transperineal until now? It has to do with the imaging uh, and the uh, ultrasound that became, became available. Actually, interestingly, if you go back to 60s and 70s, that's how urologists used to do these biopsies. They just did it by finger guidance. You literally did it by feel. Uh, obviously, nobody does it these days. So uh, the, um, the development of the, the ultrasound technology and the probes that give us two different views at the same time and the understanding of anatomy have guided us to, to a kind of going back to the old ways, except it's just much more advanced. more, more advanced. That's exactly right. All right. Let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with urologist Dr. Timothy Byler and Dr. Oleg Shapiro from the urology department at Upstate. So let's talk about what happens if the biopsy results are positive for prostate cancer. What do you as physicians consider before recommending what, if anything, a patient should do? Uh, it's a little bit of a difficult question. Uh, the biopsy, only because the biopsy, uh, we take 12 samples. So there's very, very different patients. So one patient can have one sample positive or one patient can have all 12. Um, and at the same time, we also look at percentages on each sample. So you can have like 5% of a sample or 100% of a sample. Um, so, and also we look at grade of the tumor in the sample. So there's a lot of variables that come into play. Um, so there are patients that are, we find minimal prostate cancer and they choose to observe it, all the way to patients that need aggressive therapy based on uh, their number of cores and their um, you know, pathology. So when all of these samples are taken, how soon do you get the results back? We really strive for one week, but we usually schedule follow-ups in around two weeks. Uh, just so that we have the pathologist has plenty of time to go through it. Uh, the way the pathology community does this is they tend to do like a group view of it, and they all look at it and kind of agree that there's high-risk prostate cancer. So we have to give them time to prepare the samples, view the samples, do their 
little powwow and kind of figure out as a group that they agree together. And then you have to consider the individual patient and everything else. Oh, certainly. All the pathologist gives me back is that there is prostate cancer, but then when the patient comes back to the office, that's when we kind of put things together and say, you know, based on your medical concerns and your age and your, you know, PSA and all, you know, your pathology, this is what the best treatment for you would be. Yeah, it's very individualized. And then in terms of treatments, if you, if you, if this is something that needs to be treated, what's out there in terms of treatment options? So the, again, there are multiple options there. The, one, two of the mainstay options, if you will, are surgery, obviously, uh, which is done robotically uh, these days. Uh, very few surgeries, if any, are done op- in an open fashion. And then subsequently radiation therapy, which can be administered either via the uh, seed implant into the prostate or, or external beam radiation therapy. Um, there are some other options, such as uh, uh, high-intensity focused ultrasound, which is considered experimental at this point. There's also cryosurgery or freezing the prostate, which can be reserved for people that recur after a original therapy. Uh, but again, the two mainstays is the surgery radiation therapy. How do you determine which is a more appropriate, surgery or radiation? So a lot of it has to do with the patient uh, preference. So I, I'd like, I like to tell my patients they have to pick their poison, if you will, because both therapies have their own uh, set of side effects. Um, some people are not good surgical candidates, and then they have to be radiated. Um, some people are great surgical candidates, and they prefer just to get it out and, and, and obviously follow the PSA closely. Uh, some people cannot recover. Uh, they don't have time to recover because they're taking care of their family member. It, it's a really individualized uh, decision based on a, that particular patient. Usually patients see surgeon and a radiation oncologist, and they decide what's best uh, for them. And with the surgery, it's uh, done after the surgery, right? Well, you, you are done, but you do have to follow the PSA, and there's always, unfortunately, a risk of recurrence, just like with any other cancer. Uh, so you have to be followed closely, and some high-risk patients need to have everything done. They need to have surgery, radiation, possible hormone therapy, which is uh, ablating their testosterone levels because prostate cancer feeds in testosterone, possibly chemotherapy, and then further and further we go down the line. Uh, but again, it's very individualized, and it depends on the pathology on the biopsy. Well, and the radiation is individualized as well, right? It may be, it may take longer depending on the size. That, that is correct. And as a matter of fact, uh, we were part of the trial that hopefully showed to decrease, if you will, the uh, side effects from radiation, at least to the rectum, uh, by placing a gel. It's called spaceor gel that goes between the rectal wall and the prostate because one of the side effects of radiation therapy is proctitis or inflammation of the, of the rectal wall, which produces diarrhea, which can be fairly long-lasting. So what we're doing, as a matter of fact, the same way, transperineal, is we're putting this spaceor gel between the prostate and the rectum to increase the space between the two organs. So when the radiation oncologist radiates the prostate, he or she can spare the rectal wall and the nerves that run along uh, along the prostate so the erectile function can stay fairly intact uh, and uh, there's a much lesser risk of proctitis or, or injury to the bowel, which can happen with radiation therapy. So this space or gel is a barrier. That is correct, and it goes away after some time. So it's it's a it's a biological substance that we inject uh, under ultrasound guidance, the same way we do the biopsy, 
but again, it goes right between the two organs, the rectum and the prostate, and it kind of pushes the rectum away from the prostate, so the radiation, so you can give a higher dose of radiation to the periphery of the prostate, where the prostate cancer usually lives, sparing the rectum. Okay. And Upstate was one of the sites uh, where this was being studied. That's correct. Before it was approved. That is correct. That is absolutely correct. So yeah, we're going full speed with that right now. Yep. So you're satisfied with the outcomes that patients have had with the space or Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, The people that had it are very happy and uh, the radiation oncologists are very happy because they can actually give a higher dose to where it needs to go. For a shorter period of time, perhaps. uh, Possibly for a shorter period of time. And again, depends on the disease itself, but yes. Now, I know one of the terms that we've heard of when we talk about prostate cancer is watchful waiting. Um, so it, a man could have the biopsy and then come back, and it, it still could be that you opt for watchful waiting, right? Yes. Yeah, so there's basically two groups. There's watchful waiting and there's active surveillance. Um, so watchful waiting is, uh, they're both observation modes where we don't actively treat the prostate cancer. Uh, the watchful waiting is usually much older men that, you know, we're really peripheral, like our chances of, uh, of intervening are very low. Active surveillance is much more vigorous, uh, requires, uh, you know, routine biopsies to ensure the cancer hasn't developed further. Uh, routine PSA checks uh, has sh- triggers of doing a biopsy sooner uh, with changes in PSA dynamics and whatnot. Um, so I just want to make that distinction because there is, a, there is two different types of observation um, that a man can choose from. So under active surveillance, then, my question was going to be, um, would you face a biopsy in the future? So you potentially could if you're under the active surveillance. 100%. Okay. Um, part of the surveillance protocol is a biopsy. Usually one year after diagnosis, there's a confirmatory biopsy. And then we try to get guys out somewhere between three and five years from that based on their other clinical factors and their, you know, the risk of their disease and all that sort of stuff. The, the reason it's done is because we try to avoid side effects of therapy. Sometimes the side effects of therapy are actually worse than the disease itself. So we're trying to keep the patient, the men with, with low-risk prostate cancer without any sequela of therapy for as long as we can and possibly for the rest of their lives. But sometimes these men do progress and they need to be treated, but we have to keep an eye on them. And actually the way we keep an eye on them is after the original biopsy, as Dr. Byler has mentioned, the next step would be an MRI fusion biopsy or uranf, and that's where that particular procedure uh, comes in. All right. Well, good to know. Well, thank you both. Thank you to Dr. Timothy Byler and Dr. Oleg Shapiro. They're uh, urologists in the Department of Urology at Upstate Medical University. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.